This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, So You Want to Be Mighty, and it comes from 2 Samuel 23, 8-39. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether it's iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Google. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in 2 Samuel. We're two lessons, this lesson and one more lesson, and we'll be through with First and Second Samuel. But today, we're going to cover Second Samuel 23, verses 8 through 39. Well, most of them. I'm not going to try to say all these names. I'll just butcher them right here on the air. But as we get ready to wrap up the book of Second Samuel, the writer of Second Samuel, really the writer of First and Second Samuel, because remember, when this was written, there was no First and Second Samuel. When they translated the Bible, they split the two books. But anyhow, the writer wants you to understand about who were the mighty men of David and who were the ones that fought beside David. But I want you to see and I want you to understand today, as Christians, we are to be mighty men and women for God. And what we can gather from this is how we can be mighty for God. We as Christians should be the hands and feet for God. We should be mighty and our names should be written down if they were writing the Bible today because of what we do for God. And for those listening that say, well, Tim, I really don't care to be mighty. I hope by the end of this lesson today, you will have a change of heart that God will speak to you and say, I want you to be mighty for me. I want you to be a mighty man for me, a mighty woman for me. And so I pray right now that God will speak to you and he will Open your ears and he'll let this fall on fertile soil so that we can walk away being mighty men and women of God. And the last thing I'll say real quick, and then we'll get into this, we'll dive into this, is that there's nothing wrong with having our name written down to being someone that is mighty for God as long as we are pointing the glory to God. Not to us, that we're not getting our glory. We're not getting our recognition here that we'll get it later. We should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. And that's how we show that we are mighty. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We'll start in verse 8, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Josheb by Shebeth, a technomite. He was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. 
Let's stop right there real quick. The first thing I want you to see for my note takers, my first point is the mighty are miraculous. And the first person that is listed in this part of scripture is Josheb. And it says in this verse right here that he killed 800 men at one time. Now that's a feat. That's a miraculous feat. And a matter of fact, for one man to kill 800 men, that is a mighty man. Stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, most of us would struggle killing one, maybe two people. Three or four, we're outnumbered, we're probably dead. But this says he killed 800 men. And to do that, one, you got to be courageous. And two, you got to have God on your side. Now, this is not the time, and this is definitely not the lesson to talk about whether this is moral or why is there so much killing, because I've heard that before as well in the Old Testament. But we both would have to agree that this is miraculous. Without a bomb, how easy would it have been to kill 800 men? I think that's pretty hard. To me, it's miraculous. But what I want you to walk away from this first point is that for us to be able to do mighty things for God, we have to be courageous and we have to believe in the miraculous. Now, this person, to do what he did, whether you agree with 800 men dying or not, was pretty miraculous. God was with Israel and God was with David so God poured out his spirit on these men and they were able to do miraculous things. And we need to walk away today understanding that if we want to do things for God, that we have to believe that he is miraculous and he can do anything through us and we have to walk in faith. And some of you listening to me today are drifting away from the miraculous because you don't think you deserve it. You don't think that God loves you enough. You don't think that God will help you. You don't think you're worthy of the miraculous. But I'm here to tell you today that God, through his power that is living inside of you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. You have that duminous power. You have that miraculous power. It's that we have to walk in faith and we have to walk in the spirit god can do miraculous things through us when we walk in his spirit look at moses back in exodus 14 moses has been following what god told him to do and he comes to a dead end he comes to the red sea but god tells him to stick out his hand and the sea parts and they walk across on dry land and pharaoh and his men are chasing after him and as they come the sea collapses on them and they die and look what it says in Exodus 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You should want to be miraculous. You should want the Lord to use you in a miraculous way, just like he used Moses to show the people what he could do for them. See, what happens when we see miraculous things, we see the power of God. We notice God. We know there's no logical explanation, and so it can only be God. You know why God uses some people some of the time instead of the most educated or the most theologically sound people because he wants to make sure he gets the credit. And when you walk in the power of the Spirit through God, you can be miraculous and people will notice God through you. And that is a testimony to God. 
If you want to read a book about the power of God and the miraculous making us mighty, then look at the book of Acts. Over in the 14th chapter, we see Paul and Barnabas. They're there preaching the word of God, and some people are believing. But others that are unbelieving stir up the Gentiles and try to change their mind and get them against Paul and Barnabas. But in verse 3 of chapter 14 of the book of Acts says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. God wants to use you to be miraculous. Give signs and wonders through people so that they see God and they bear witness for God. Throughout the whole book of Acts, we see this very thing, the signs and wonders. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God move. And when he does, he moved through either prophets or through disciples or through his followers. But they were all to point to him. It wasn't to bring glory to us, but to God. So when I tell you today that I want you to be mighty and believe in the miracles and the miraculous, it's not for you. That's not the goal of us being mighty and believing in miraculous and walking in courage. It is to draw people to God, for him to work through us so that we draw people to him. So here goes my first challenge question for you today. Are you walking in the miraculous? Do you even think about the miraculous? Do you ask God for it? Do you challenge God for it? Maybe today the reason why you aren't mighty is because you aren't asking God to be moved miraculously. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about the spiritual gifts. And what I want you to turn down to verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 12 and listen to some of the gifts right here that it says, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to others, interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Right here in this section of Scripture, Paul is describing acts that override the natural laws of nature. The other thing is, these don't just happen at a whim. They're not a power that just can be turned on and off. Instead, they operate as an individual is prompted by the Holy Spirit and given the faith to perform such a work. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them that there are people in the church that aren't disciples, that are just followers of Christ, that have the ability to do healing, that have the power inside of them to do the miraculous if they'll just walk in faith. And we need to learn from that. In John 14, 12, Jesus told us, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus tells us that we'll be able to do anything that he was able to do because the Holy Spirit lives in us. If we believe in him and we walk in faith and we're doing it for him and for his glory, then we can do anything Jesus did. Sadly, there are too many Christians walking around today that are spiritually defeated because they don't know who they are. They don't know their spiritual identity and they don't know why they can do these things because they don't read the Bible. They don't study the word. They don't see the promises that Jesus gave us that we would be able to do anything he could do if we will just believe in him and walk in faith. I got to move on. So my second point I want you to see is that the mighty are fighters. First, we see that there's the miraculous and their courage, but now we see that they are fighters. Look at verse 9 with me real quick. 
And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahoy. He was with David when they defeated the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. And listen to what he does, verse 10. He rose and he struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Now, Eleazar defied the Philistines. He attacked until his hand was so weary that it stuck to the sword. That's what it says in verse 10. Now, that's a fighter right there, fighting so hard that his hand sticks to the sword. Now, I've never fought with the sword, but I've held on to something, a sledgehammer, a water ski, pulling as hard as I can, trying to hold on the best I can. And I've held on it to so long that my hands feel like they're about to fall off. My fingers hurt. And that's the picture that we have right here. Here's a man who's fighting so hard for David that his hands are stuck to the sword at this point. In Zechariah chapter 10, verse 5, God is speaking through the prophet and God is saying to the nation of Israel, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and they shall put to shame the riders on the horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I have not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. God is saying that he is going to give the power back to the nation Israel as they come back, and he will restore them. And he will restore you. What we've got to understand is that fighting is a part of the Christian walk. Now, we don't fight like the world fights. We don't fight like swords or guns or knives. We fight a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that is going on that people don't see. And the Lord is saying that if we walk in his power, he will give us the strength to fight the battle that we need because the Lord is with us. Paul was inspired to write to young Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In 2 Timothy, Paul says that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As Christians, as our walk with Christ, we have to fight the fight. And that's my second challenge to you today. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Or are you just letting the devil win every day against you? Are you walking in defeat? As a Christian, we walk with Christ. There is no days off. It's all day, every day. The fight is to fight the faith every single day because the evil one wants to take you down. And a matter of fact, in Ephesians, it tells us to put on the whole armor. Was it tell us in verse 11 of Ephesians 6 that we put on the whole armor? Why? So we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul is charging the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and walk in his strength and his might. Put on that whole armor so that you can stand against the evil schemes of the devil. And we have to do the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians, again, Paul starts talking about the armor again. He tells us that we that walk in the day, again, those that are saved, we need to be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. See, God didn't appoint us to wrath, but of tame salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We want that salvation, and we want to give that salvation to others. And to do that, we, we have to fight the fight for Christ. And we have to point to him, and others see the miraculous and the fight in us. 
And so those are the two points I want you to see is that we have to believe in the miraculous and be courageous and we have to be fighters. And then the third point is the mighty are defenders. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me real quick. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agai the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Leah, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Are you starting to hear the theme here? In verse 12, and the Lord worked a great victory. In verse 10, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day. So I'm hoping you're starting to see the miraculous and the courageousness of these. They walk in faith and they have the Lord with them. And because of that, they're willing to fight and defend. And that's what we see. Shema stationed himself in the middle of this patch so that he could defend it from the Philistines. This is the one that normally takes people out. Standing right in the middle, being surrounded, sometimes you just feel like giving up. It's hard fighting, especially when you feel like you're surrounded. Michael W. Smith sings a song, This is How I Fight My Battles. And he sings, This is How I Fight My Battles. This is How I Fight My Battles. This is How I Fight My Battles. He sings that like six times. And then he goes into the chorus and he says, It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Again, like five times. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. He goes right back into the next verse. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles like eight times. He's singing it again. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Are you surrounded by the Lord? Are you fighting your battles with the Lord? Shema found himself stationed right in the middle, and yet the Lord gave a great victory that day against the Philistines. We can't give up when we want to give up. We see Shema didn't give up. Proverbs 25, 26 says, A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring or a polluted well. I don't know about you, but I don't want to falter before the wicked. I don't want to throw up my hands and give up when I feel like I'm surrounded. We need to remember what Michael W. Smith said. This is how I fight my battles. When I look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Do you remember what happened in 2 Kings chapter 6? The king of Aram was at war with Israel. And every time he would say something, Elisha would hear it whispered to him and he would tell the king of Israel. And so they were able to defeat the Armenians. The king of Aram calls in all his officers, says, which one of you are the spy and telling the king of Israel our secret? And he says, none of us, but they have Elisha the prophet. They find out where he is. He's in Dothan and they go and they surround him with horses and chariots. And the next morning, his servant gets up and he goes out and he sees all these horses and chariots and he goes, oh my Lord, what shall we do? And he says, remember what Elijah says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. At that point, Elisha prays that God will open the eyes of his servant and he does and he sees all the angels and the horses and chariots that are there and as the men start to come in, Elisha prays to strike them with blindness. And they're able to march just right out. My point for telling you what's going on in 2 Kings is that sometimes we're like the servant. He had seen what Elijah was able to do when the Lord worked through him. And yet he sees this situation and he panics. A lot of times we forget about who we are in Christ and what we have and who we have and whose we are. We could be just like the servant and panic. But what I'm telling you today is open your eyes and see what God is doing for you. 
And so my next question for you is, are you defending the faith? And what I'm talking about here, are you walking with the Lord? Are you living out your faith where you work, where you live? Do they see the Lord in you? Sometimes the Lord may have not spoke to you yet, but you're going to need to step up and defend. And so you need to do it. When you feel like you're surrounded, that the whole world is coming down on you, you need to defend the place that you're at because the Lord has put you there. It's no accident. Remember how we fight our battles. When we truly understand whom we are in Christ, then it's worth defending and it's worth fighting for. And we must defend the faith. If you want to be mighty, then you have to be miraculous and courageous. You have to be a fighter. You have to step out in faith. You have to fight with the Lord. And you have to be a defender. You have to defend the faith. And here's my final point. To be mighty, we have to have a good name. Now, I want you to jump down to verse 18 with me real quick. And we're going to look at who it is again. It's Abashai, the brother of Joab. Look at verse 18. Now, Abashai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeberu, the son of Zeruhah, was chief of the 30. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name besides the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not obtain to the three. As we've studied about David, we've heard this name over and over again. It's Abashai. And here it tells us about him killing 300 men. He raised a spear to them and he killed them. And he won a name. You know, I'll be honest. Before this study of First and Second Samuel, I knew about Abashai, but it wasn't a name I thought of. But now after going through this, he is truly a mighty man of God. Abashai is a powerful name. It's one that we should remember. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. What we can learn from Abashai right here in this passage of Scripture is that a good name is great, but get a bad name and it'll stick with you forever. I remember as I would go out as a teenager, my dad would remind me, Son, you carry the Carter name. You reflect what the Carter name means. At the time, I didn't really understand the impact that I do now. In my job today, I sell networking equipment for the internet, and my word is golden. Whatever I tell people, I'm going to do. My say-do ratio is very high. There are people, though, that will sell you anything. As the old saying goes, they're used car salesmen, and I don't want to pick on any used car people because I know some good used car people. But a used car salesman sometimes would tell you whatever he could to get you to buy the car, whether it was true or not. But we are to have a good name. Matter of fact, right here in Proverbs, like I said, 22.1, the Bible tells us that a good name should be chosen over money. And that's what we see right here in this passage of Scripture. The writer of 2 Samuel wants us to know who are the names and the people that fought beside and went along with and were one of the mighty men of David. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about the heroes of the faith. We read about Abraham and his faith, Moses and his faith. He goes on to list Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel, the, all the prophets. The Bible wants us to understand it's important that we have a good name and that we have that name through faith in our walk with Jesus Christ. So here's my final question to you. Do you even care what people say about you? You should. So you should live a life, the Bible teaches us, so that we prove them wrong no matter what they say about us. Live a life so that people may say things about you. And go ahead and let them say it. They may not like you, 
but they can't see anything destructive about you because your life proves them out to be a liar. Again in Philippians, listen how the Bible talks about young Timothy. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. What Paul is saying here, he's describing Timothy. He's reminding them of Timothy's name and his character. And that's what it means by we have to have a good name. We have to have a character. We have to walk the walk. Not just talk the talk, but we have to walk it out every single day. Billy Graham was asked, how do you define Christian character? And he answered, the thing that makes the difference in Christian character is that we are answering to God more than anything else. Christian character is a character lived out in the reverence for and respect of God, as opposed to simply honoring man. The fear of God is a biblical term, and it's a term used for how we walk. The fear of God is just a starting place, though. But what it boils down to is the willingness to die to our own agendas and to die to our own conveniences. Genuine Christian character involves sacrifice, and that is something that the culture will not require of us. That is something that only faith will bring to us. What Billy Graham was saying there is it's not just that we do something out of duty to ourselves, but we do it out of the fear of the Lord. So as we wrap up this lesson today, I really want you to understand that we are to be mighty. But we need to make sure that, like Romans 14, 16 says, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken evil of, but we're doing it for the Lord. We're being mighty for the Lord, because there's nothing wrong with that. And to be mighty for the Lord, people should see that, that we are believing in miraculous and we are walking courageous in faith. We are fighters, that we fight for what is right. We are defenders, just like Shema was, and that we have a good name. The Bible took time to recognize, really, these 34 men that are recognized. And there were more than 34 men that were servants of David. There were thousands of servants for David, but only 34 names were recognized. They are printed in the Bible as an eternal tribute to their faithfulness to God and to David. And for you listening to me today, even though the Bible's written and there's nothing to be added to it, there is a book that is being assembled and our names are written down in it. And the works that we do are written in it. The works that are written down in it are the ones that we did for God's glory and to spread his name, to point to him. And I would be remiss if I didn't point at the very last name in verse 39, and that's Uriah the Hittite. And I believe his name was in here. If you remember, he he was the husband to Bathsheba. And David had him killed because he would not sleep with her and so that he could hide his infidelity that he had with Bathsheba. He's one of the ones that taught David forgiveness. He had to repent of his sin, and God forgave him. And maybe you're sitting here today listening to me and you've got sin. God will forgive you of that sin, but you have to ask for forgiveness. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for the study of David's life, especially in 2 Samuel as he's become king. Lord, there is so much that we can learn from this. And even as we read through these names of these men and the mighty, miraculous things they did, Lord, you can teach us how we can walk miraculously as well. Lord, the traits that they had that we can have through you. 
Lord, when we put ourselves down, we die to ourselves, and we walk in the Spirit, how we can use the gifts that you give us so that it points back to you. Lord, maybe there's one today listening that they have sin in their life. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray today that they would just ask for forgiveness, and Lord, they will give it back to you. Lord, let them feel the pricking of the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't let them tune it out, but Lord, let them give this sin and ask for forgiveness and turn from that sin. Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today that they would turn from their sin. Lord, that they would realize that they are lost and they are going to hell. But you came and you died on a cross. You overcame death. You, your blood paid the ultimate sacrifice. And all we have to do is confess with our mouth that we are sinners. We have to believe in our heart on your finished work. And then we have to confess you, Lord. And we have to turn from our wicked ways. We can't openly live in sin and then call you Lord, Lord. Lord, I pray today that they would realize that. Lord, that they will ask you to be Lord of their life and they'll turn from their wicked ways. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.